Hello and welcome back for another exciting chapter of Stories to Drive By, the podcast where I get to take a look at literature and have the pleasure of sharing that with you. I'm your host and narrator, Ben Kelman. Let's jump right into it, shall we? Today we have the pleasure of discussing Oriophon, a novel by Marion L. Thorpe. Now let me start off by saying that this is actually book four in her Empire's Legacy series. Miss Thorpe was actually kind enough to send me this one as it is the first one written from a male perspective, knowing that it would be easier for me to do the characters' voices that way, and I appreciate that. The three previous titles are Empire's Daughter, Empire's Hostage, and Empire's Exile. They can also be purchased as one novel in the form of The Empire's Legacy. And most recently, after Oriophon, is The Empire's Reckoning. Now, very impressively to me, she's actually published all of these books since the year 2015. To quote here, this is how Marion Thorpe describes the world we are about to enter. My books are historical fiction of an imagined world, one that is close to Britain, Northern Europe, and Rome, but isn't. A world where society evolved differently than the Eastern Empire left. Where one young fisherwoman enters her leader's call to defend her country, beginning a journey into uncharted territory in an empire on the edge of history. Now I can tell you, having read this book, that that is a very apt and accurate description. And I particularly loved how she actually took languages from our own world and just slightly modified them to create languages in hers. The woman that she speaks of in her description is actually Lena, who is not the lead in this book, but was in the previous three. She is in this book as a side character. Having read Oriophon, I really do look forward to picking up the rest of the series. While I have the cliff notes and know essentially what happened, I really want to see the subtle way in which we got to exactly where we are in the story. Marion Thorpe's characters have an incredible way of doing everything while seeming to do just about nothing, much like an actor who can control the stage with the slightest movement, or a conductor who can control their symphony with just a glance. I didn't realize how invested I had become until the climax of the book when I found myself silently cheering for our protagonists. That being said, I don't want to give anything away, so let's just leave that there. Before we get into our reading, just a small disclaimer that this story does include some adult content. That being said, let's enjoy Marion L. Thorpe's Oriophon. The scouts report no Marai within Linwraith, the soldier said. There are still some skirmishes along the stair, but those are diminishing and appear to be mostly defiance and bluster Tina Shog. Thank you, Ruer said, dismissing him. Tina Shog, they called him. The young leader after his calm and thoughtful leadership during the fighting against the Marai. Hard to believe, I mused, that he was not yet fourteen. Donalk had taught him well. His regent, his great uncle Liam, grunted, You need to ride forth, Ruer. Be seen by your people, he said. Ruer turned to me. Will you accompany me, Lord Sorley? I should. This was my country's leader asking me. He hadn't been formally recognized as Tina Shah, but there was little doubt that would happen. The Marai were in retreat, so he must have won, but the rumors from the Empire were confused and contradictory. Nothing official had reached us yet, here in the camp hidden among the hills and valleys of Linwraith. Almost everyone I loved was somewhere in the Empire, and I did not know if they were safe. You do not need me, Ruer, I prevaricated. 
I cannot even play for you just now. I had taken a serious sword wound to my left arm. Nothing too serious, and it was already healing, but it did prevent me from holding the Lathar comfortably. But you are my friend, Sorley, he protested. His great uncle scowled. The Rasser did not approve of me, although he had grudgingly praised my efforts in bringing Ruer north and in fighting. Talk of my choice of men as my bedmates had reached Liam's ears, I assumed. I wondered sometimes if it was the reason that my father had supported the Marai, knowing we would be on opposite sides and ensuring our family's lands went to my younger brother, Rogan, and not to his Shanadara oldest. Distant shouts reached my ears. I looked up, frowning, just as the tent flaps parted and a soldier entered. My pardon, Tenoshok, he said. But there is a rider come from the south looking for Lord Sorley. He has dark skin and speaks no Lindorathan, nor much of the Empire's tongue. He is very agitated. Drusius? Fear rose. Excuse me, Ruhr, I said, following the soldier toward the perimeter of the camp. I saw Drusius with the guard, pacing impatiently, and broke into a run. Drus! I shouted. What has happened? Killian, he called. He is badly wounded. Lena needs you. Why are you still here, Sorley? Did not the messenger sent from Teva reach you? Killian, he should be safe. If he was wounded. No messenger, I said. What of the Emperor? I'd reached Duris now. The Emperor Kellen is dead, Duris said, frowning at the bandage on my arm. Traitors within his own army. Killian would be dead too, except the Emperor blocked some arrows with his own body. But not all. Come, Sorley. There's no time to waste. You are hurt? Just a cut. I answered. What happened? A twisting inside. I'd like Callan. I will tell you as we ride, he said. Narya says he will die from infection. Lena will not sleep, barely eats, will not leave him. She's making herself ill. Dear gods, I said. Killian dying? No. My mind said, no. She's pregnant, Drus, he swore. She will lose the baby, he said bluntly. We must ride sorely. Find us fresh horses, I told the guard. Now! And food and water, enough to get us to the wall. Ten minutes, Drus. Come with me, I must tell Ruhr what has happened. Fifteen minutes later, we were riding south at speed. Ruhr had given me leave immediately. As I turned to go, he stopped me, a hand on my arm. Lord Sorley, he said, his young face serious. I swear to you, I will do all I can to regain Sorum and your lands. Believe me in this. I will right the wrong my uncle did. I didn't really care at this moment, but a response was needed. I do believe you, Ruhr, I said. I wish you success. There may be a place for you in a fight some day, he replied. If I can be of use, I will. I said rote words. My mind was not in this wind-shaken tent, but long hours south and west at Wall's End. I would have said almost anything to speed my leaving. Trucius shouted the story to me as we rode. Kevin's treachery, the Lessian archers within the Empire's army, swayed by his promises, the betrayal of the drumcoats to the Marai. Lena killed Fritjof, he told me, her arrow in his neck. Junia had killed his son minutes before. It was all that saved us, those two deaths. Is Killian really dying? I asked. I could not bring myself to believe it. He is not in this world, and his skin burns to the touch, Drus answered. Naya says only the gods can save him now. Horses at the first guard post we reached on the wall, 
and twice or three times again. I half slept in the saddle once we were on the road that paralleled the wall, rousing only when my horse slowed. We rode into Wall's End not long after dawn. I slid off my horse, my injured arm aching. I could barely stand. I realized that Drusius must be in agony. He was a foot soldier, not cavalry, but he'd been riding at speed for over three days. I turned to Drus. Go, he said. Where? The sick rooms. I turned to the guard, who had opened the gate. Where? I asked again. He pointed, explaining. I tried to run, forcing my legs to move. More questions inside the building, and then I was in the room. Lena slumped in a chair, her hand holding Killian's. His chest rose and fell shallowly. She did not look up. Lena, I said. She raised her head. Huge, dark shadows swallowed her eyes, and her face was thin, far too thin. Her hair spiked and clumped on her head. Sorely, she whispered. I knelt beside her, trying to hold her. She shook her head. Talk to him, she rasped. Help me hold on to him. Please, Sorely, please. I put my hand over hers and Killian's. His fingers were white and his flesh cold, but the flush of fever stained his cheeks. Killian, I said, my voice catching. Killian, it's Sorely. I'm here. Can you hear me? Tears pricked at my eyes. Oh, God's Killian, I thought. Don't die. Please don't die. I felt Lena's hand clench mine and heard a deep, racking sob. Sorely, she moaned, turning suddenly to hide her face against my shoulder, sobs tearing through her. I pulled her close with one arm, the other still holding Killian's hand. I will fetch Nias, I heard Drusius say. I hadn't heard him come in. He and the doctor returned in a few minutes. Lena still wept. How have you let her get to this state? I growled at Nias and Castellan. She is pregnant. Did you not know? I did, he replied gravely. But she has refused whatever I have offered. And even an order from her princip was ignored. He bent to her. Tell her, he said, that she must think of the child. His child. She must sleep or risk losing it. I translated. She shook her head. Lena, I murmured. I will stay with him. I promise. Drews will find an instrument somewhere, and I will play music for him and talk to him. But you must sleep. She shook her head again, but less vehemently. You promise? I do. Let Nyus give you a sleeping draft. There is a cot against the wall. You do not even have to leave the room. See if she would let someone take her to the baths, Nyus whispered. I will give her a mild dose of poppy now, and a bit more after, to make her sleep. No, Lena said when I suggested it. Tell her I will take her, Drusius said. Highly irregular, I thought, but what did it matter? I relayed his offer. She looked up. Just a few minutes, I said. You do need the baths, Lena. She stank of sweat and fear. Oh, she said. All right. No one but Drusius, though. Who is there that can permit this? I asked Drus. The baths will have to be closed to all others. I kept glancing at Killian, watching for each breath. I will find someone, he said. Nias, at a side table, prepared the first dose of poppy. She is to drink this. He held it out. Lena took it, her hand trembling. She swallowed it, making a face. Drusius came back with, of all people, Cassin. General! I said in surprise. I was on my way here to see how Killian did, and Lena this morning, he said gravely. 
What is it Drusius is asking? I explained. He turned to Nias, making writing motions. The physician gestured him to the table. Casson wrote a note quickly. Take her, he said to Drusius, holding out the note. He is in good hands, Lena, he said to her softly as Drus led her to the door. Casson's eyes went to Killian. The hands of gods, the physician says, he murmured. I turned to Nias. How is it truly? I asked. If the gods love him, he might live, but I doubt it, he said. I can do little. My heart clenched. I told Casson what Nias had said. He nodded, reaching out to touch Killian gently. I will pray, he said simply. He is a soldier too. I am glad you are here, Lord Soli. I must work now. Work. I remembered something Drew told me as we rode. Princip, I said. I apologize for how I greeted you earlier. He was Callan's heir, and now the Princip of the Western Empire. No matter, he replied. I had barely slept for over a day, but I kept my promise to Lena. I sat beside Killian, holding his hand when I wasn't playing the Scyther. Drus had found me. I played, and I talked, and sang in Lindrethan. If anything would reach him, I thought, it would be his own tongue. When I had to leave for the minutes it took to relieve myself, Drus took over. Even when Nias or the fort's medics came to wash him and turn him, and to drip liquids or poppy juice mixed with wine into his mouth, I stayed. I saw the horrible wounds on his back and thigh, and the red streaks of infection. I made myself endure it all, although the moans of pain in Killian made tested my self-control to its limits. His eyes may open, Nias told me. He may speak. It will not make sense. He may see things that are not there, but not that which is. But if he begins to thrash about, or tries to rise, do not let him, and send someone for me immediately. More than a day passed before Lena reappeared. She had slept the entire time, exhaustion assisted by the sleeping draft. Clean and rested, she looked marginally better than the day before. I stood up, swaying with my own fatigue, when she came in. She knelt, unspeaking, to kiss Killian on the chapped lips, murmuring to him. Thank you she said, looking up at me. You should sleep now. Baths first, Drew said from the cot where he had been dozing. Then some sleep, and then the two of you take turns, yes? Yes, her hand went to her belly. Yes, all right. The cadet is outside the door if I need someone to go for Nias. Drusius checked. The boy was there. I bent to kiss Killian's forehead, feeling the heat of his skin. Stay with us, Mograhath, I whispered as I turned to leave. Lena put her hand on my arm. It's all right, Sorley, she said. I need you to love him, and to tell him that you do. Maybe with two of us loving him so much, we can keep him in this world. Maybe the gods will see and take pity on us. I put a hand on her shoulder and bent to kiss her cheek, fighting dizziness as I straightened. Maybe they will. I couldn't find anything else to offer hope. I couldn't see any hope. Come, Drew said. I followed him to the bath, stumbling more than once. In the antechamber, he undressed me and sponged me down before leading me into the steaming water. Had he done this for Lena yesterday? I supposed he had. A wine flask and cups appeared on the table in my room. From where? Wine must be in short supply. Did I raid it because I was the Lord Sorley, or because I was thought to need it? Did I care? I poured two cups, not watering mine at all. 
I drank it quickly and poured more. Sorely, Drew said, concerning his voice. We had been lovers in Castle for a few weeks. I had told him the first night that I loved Killian, but in our casual, temporary pairing, what had it mattered? Don't tell me not to, I said bluntly. I need it, Drews. He's going to die, and there's nothing I can do, or Lena, or even Nias, it seems. Maybe not. I drained my wine cup and threw the cup against the wall. It shattered, the sound clear and sharp in the still air of the room. It didn't help. I took a deep, shuddering breath. I can't even be there all the time. Gods, Drews, I still love him, and I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't say that to you, and I can't take it. I must leave. Lena stays, sleeps there, eats there, and I've only been here a day. Why am I so weak? You are not weak, he said, putting an arm around me. Lena believes she can keep him alive by her will, her love. That is why she will not leave. You do not think that in your heart. I leaned against his solid strength. No, I admitted, I don't. Perhaps the music eases him, and it cannot hurt to talk to him. But will it save him? I don't think so. Sleep now, he urged. You must be exhausted too. Don't you need to sleep? I yawned hugely. I have slept more than you might think this last day. A ghost of a grin came and went. Maybe I stay? Fatigue and wine fogged my thoughts. Stay. The bed is wide, better than the barracks. But I had just reminded him I loved Killian. Was he offering to stay? Can you? No one cares where I sleep. If you want. I couldn't work this out right now. I sat on the bed, pulling off first my shirt and then the soft indoor shoes. That was enough. I lay back and sleep claimed me before I'd finished pulling up the blanket. When I awoke some hours later, the blanket was fully over me. In the blackness of the room, I could hear soft snores. Where? Memory asserted itself, and with it, fear. I stifled a whimper in my hand. A moment later, I felt fingers on my back. Sorely, Drews whispered. His hands moved, his lips nibbling at my neck. I felt the pulse of response. But I shouldn't. Not now. Not with Drews. Bit my shoulder. Not quite gently, and I whimpered in a different way and rolled over. I couldn't call what we did making love. I gave in to a need to extinguish fear and death in the demands of hands and tongue and sex, and there was nothing gentle or loving about it. I didn't recognize myself, not in what I did or what I was allowed, anything not to think. And when it was done, and I lay limp and breathless, Hollowed out, Drews put one hand on my belly and kissed me on my lips. Did that help? He asked. He ran his fingers down my cheek, a gesture that spoke of tenderness. Only a few minutes earlier, that same big hand had held both my wrists in a trap-like grip. Better to use anger, he said, even as we just did. I'm not angry, he chuckled dryly. You are, he said. Sleep again, Amane. I can't, I said but I was slipping towards a welcome darkness. His hand still rubbed my back. Druce, I murmured. Why? I didn't hear an answer. And that concludes Chapter 1 of Orion. As I've said, it's a fantastic read with characters that really latch on to the imagination. You can find Orion, as well as Marianne L. Thorpe's other books, on Amazon.com, as well as at Barnes & Noble's, Abe Books, 
and Dimox. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, I sincerely encourage you to check out the rest of the series, because this was a fantastic read. Our next podcast should be coming out to you about mid-November. It's going to be Bathsheba Proverbs. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or perhaps something you'd like me to read, you can reach out to me at stories to drive by at gmail.com. That address is stories to drive by at gmail.com. Of course, remember to live every day so that your story is a story worth telling. I'm Ben Kelman, your story guy, and this has been Stories to Drive By. Happy Halloween!